My name is Dr. Ruth Mary Allen, and this is my podcast, Brain Health Unchaining Your Pain. Our world has become a minefield for our children to get the best out of their brain and whole body health, which is why I founded the Wellbeing Warrior Academy to help them navigate this minefield effectively. Right now, if you go to www.wellbeingwarrioracademy.com and use the code PODCAST10, you can get 10% off all programmes. That's www.wellbeingwarrioracademy.com and use the code PODCAST10 at checkout. Now, let's get back to this week's episode of Brain Health Unchaining Your Pain. Welcome to the show, Brain Health Unchaining Your Pain. I am really looking forward to this conversation with the amazing Dr. Sally Moorcroft. Welcome to the show, Sally. Hi, well, thank you. Thanks for inviting me to come on. Oh, no, you're most welcome. I really appreciate you giving up your time because I know it is very precious uh, given the busy schedule that you have. So for those that don't know, Dr. Sally Moorcroft is an award-winning integrative and functional medicine doctor she has special interests in women's health, whee, uh, psychology and the gut microbiome, and in particular, menopause, woo, uh, <laughs> perimenopause, yay, that's what I'm in, and PCOS and endometriosis. She writes for national publications, lectures and teaches nationally uh, on integrative and functional medicine, and she's the co-founder of the Northern Centre of Integrative and Functional Medicine. In Lincolnshire, she also has uh, Chapel Yard Organics in Holt, Norfolk, uh, and Dr. Sally's Botanical Herbal Teas and Tonics. Wow, a very busy lady, and I'm so excited. <laughs> I'm so excited to talk about this because it's a topic, you know, addressing female health is something that mm. is really important, and I don't think it gets enough airtime. So yeah. I'm really looking forward to diving into this conversation, not only for myself personally. But for all of the uh, Santa sisters out there who wanted to hear about female hormones and all of the ladies out there that are going through perimenopause or menopause uh, and struggling with brain fog or anything else. So, yeah, before we start, I'd love to know what you are passionate about in life right now. Okay, I'm kind of excited because I'm just about to move house and... That's exciting because I'm going to get a quite a big garden. So I'm currently yeah. sort of planning a vegetable garden and buying raspberry things. And, and but I've actually I haven't had a garden for the last six years, really, very small one. So I'm just very excited to be having a garden again and getting in the greenhouse and growing some food. So oh, do you know I love that? And I know when I was a kid that we used to grow loads of stuff in our garden because it was quite big. And I yeah. think it's so important to yeah. have that opportunity to do it if you if you can, obviously, yeah. um, and grow your own vegetables, particularly given the importance of trying to move towards organic rather yeah. than the pesti pesticide infused vegetables yeah. that you typically get in the supermarkets. Yeah, and the taste. I just can't wait those fresh tomatoes at the greenhouse. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, what I really love doing with my daughter, Lily, is going foraging. Yes. <laughs> because you just get amazing flavours, don't you? That yeah. you would just not get in, in the traditional fruit and veg that you would buy yeah. in the supermarket. So, oh, that's super exciting. Yeah. Um, so, I think 
I would love to dive in to your story, if you will, that got you to becoming a functional medicine practitioner. Yeah. Um, because I know it's a rare thing currently in the UK and, and in very much few and far between uh, practitioners from functional medicine. Uh, and I think it's something that's so important because we have to take a really integrated approach yeah. to helping people heal um their mind and body so would you mind taking us on your journey for a little bit yeah I mean it started a long time ago I think I come from a farming background we're very foodie and we always grew vegetables at home so I had a very strong connection with food from all my childhood really and um then uh but that, that was just you know I think that was just part of life and then when I was 18 before I went to medical school I went to live as a nanny in France and I think that was actually a massive turning point for me because I ended up just moving to live in the Drôme Provence which is a really beautiful area but also um, again very much into organic and biodynamic food and there's a very big sort of holistic medicine kind of um, uh, what would you say it's just very popular there so mm -hmm family that I happened to move in with actually all um, used, like they used homeopathy, they used herbal medicine, it was really part of just the culture there. You would go in the pharmacy, it would be half, say herbal medicine, homeopathy, the pharmacists were all trained, the doctors are trained in France as well to use it. So I kind of spent a year living there, it sort of opened my eyes, okay there's a different model here and it was really interesting to see that. So I just came back and I continued my studies and I was really heading into sort of general practice. That was what I wanted to do. And then um, and then actually in some of the holidays I had from university, I travelled and went to India a few times. So I spent about four summers in India and I ended wow. up doing some studying of yoga and also um, I, I read it medicine. So I kind of got a bit of an interest in the traditional Indian Ayurvedic system. And then I did an elective in um, Australia and I ended up in an Aboriginal health centre, which was... Oh, my goodness. Bush. <laughs> and so I was sort of looking at uh, traditional bush medicines and art therapy. There was also a big um, art therapy centre for drug and alcohol rehab, because obviously that's a big problem with the Aboriginal community. Yeah. Right in the Northern Territory there. So it was a really holistic centre that I ended up with. So... So that sort of shaped me. I went back to uni, carried on, but I started doing all these things in my spare time. Like I started doing meditation classes and, and I had some health problems myself. So I actually had acupuncture for mm -hmm. uh, irritable bowel syndrome after traveling to India. So um, I ended up having some, you know, different for myself really, we're, we're exploring different options. And I think slowly over time, I just, my interest grew. And then, I can't remember where, I, I worked in the NHS, I worked in general medicine, but I, I never really, I think I was always interested in looking for the root cause of ill health. I was always passionate about nutrition. Mm -hmm. And and also I think with my interest in gardening, I just got kind of drawn towards the medicinal plants as well. So I left and I went to Glasgow and did a four-year herbal medicine degree. And that was back uh, 20 years ago now. I finished wow. it. And, um, and then from there, I actually just set up a clinic and I've continually studied since then. So I started 
with the herbal medicine, but then I did a lot more nutritional training. Then I did um, medical acupuncture training and I did a five-year postgraduate in homeopathy in Bristol at the, the National Centre of Integrative Medicine there, which was really interesting. And then I did more training in sort of bioidentical hormone therapy and then the functional medicine with the with the um, Institute of Functional Medicine. So I'm just finishing the certification for that. I've been doing that for quite a few years as well now, just working my way through their programme. And it just kind of all fits together with that, really. So, yeah, um, yeah I just think it's a fascinating, you know, you can go on forever studying and looking at different ways of seeing the body. I did a lot of, I did sort of extra training in traditional Chinese medicine and I you know, I use that along. I, I was particularly always drawn towards sort of gynecology and women's health, and some of the traditional Chinese medicine um, herbs are really helpful. And the way they classify the body and the sort of diagnosis in TCM is really, I, I found that really helpful. I use that mm. a lot in practice for for lots of different sort of gynae problems, and so it combines very well, I think, now with the functional medicine and all the more. I mean, now as a clinic, we're very focused on sort of the gut microbiome. We do a lot of in-depth testing of hormones and the genetics, like nutrigenomics type testing, really, where we're looking yeah. at pathways. And so that's really good. And then sometimes, and then I think it's nice to have that other sort of more holistic head-on, which is more the traditional, like the Ayurvedic or the traditional Chinese medicine, where you have a slightly different way of looking at the body, but you know, it often it's just complementary I think mm. so it's kind of pulling them all together I found mm. over the years I've just amalgamated all of them into a very holistic system that just mm. if, depending on the person in front of you you can just use the different tools I just see I've got a big toolbox now and the person sitting in front of me I'll you know think okay that system is going to be really helpful or you know people often are drawn towards different systems themselves anyway you know some yeah. people love some people don't some people really want to get into food and some people like meditation and yeah exactly so you know <clears throat> it's really nice to have a, ma a big toolbox that you can use to see things in many different ways but they're all very complementary I think mm. have a really holistic view so I think you know it's I love having time with people to get to the root cause of problems and understanding where things have developed from in the first place and just helping people to peel back those onion layers of you know thinking why did I end up where I am today you know how are these things first started and looking back and then just slowly supporting you know we're very we're a very sort of supportive um, centre our practitioners are very good at kind of helping people to make changes because there's often it's often behavioural changes people need to make or, you know. Yeah, and it can be really hard, can't it, making behavioural changes, particularly when that's been your neural network for like 20, 30, 50 years. Yeah, for somebody to say, exactly. no, that's, that's not the right yeah. pathway for you in your mind. You have to change it. I know. It's hard. It's very hard. I, d I did do the Hoffman process as well myself and actually back in – I don't know, six, I think it was about six years ago now, which was a really interesting, you know, thinking about neuroplasticity, that was yeah. incredible actually, how, you know, to actually experience that, you know, those those changes happening. So it, it, I think that all this new 
work about neuroplasticity is so hopeful isn't it that people can yeah. change you know that you can change those patterns and they're not set and yeah I always like to think of it like our autonomic response um, which is in essence what our behaviors become is an automatic response because it's become yeah. learned to the point that you don't have to think about it it yeah. first starts when we are walking and yeah. we stop ourselves from falling over and we put our hand out yeah and I'm like I'm a a former kayak instructor and yeah. when you teach people kayaking you have to retrain the brain to tell them not to put their hand out but to actually use the paddle on the surface oh, of the water and you might think well you know that's going to be really hard but you can retrain the brain yeah. in five days wow. to rewire to a, yeah. a new automated response based on the new environment that they're in yeah. brilliant and we don't think about that, you know, from a neuroplasticity perspective, but we're yeah. incredibly able to adapt to changes yeah. to our environment yeah. super quick yeah. if we want to. So I think the, the key thing on the behaviour issue, and I just find this all fascinating, is you have to have an emotional attachment to the change yeah. of behaviour that's better yeah. to, than the emotional attachment you have to the current one. Yeah. Because if it feels like a pain rather than a gain, you're not yeah. going to adopt that new behaviour. Yeah, yeah. It is, isn't it? I think it's so hopeful. I find it so kind of hopeful and optimistic, you know, that it really gives people freedom, doesn't it? It's very empowering to know that. And I think some people don't realise how much you can change these things. Yeah, yeah. I agree. And I think um, I love the fact that you have built your toolbox up so you've not just got a spanner in your toolbox you've got a hammer and a chisel and a whole heap of other tools yeah. that you can apply to this certain situation you know and yeah. I think so often in traditional medicine it's just a hammer yeah. <laughs> uh, applied to, to and a pretty large one uh, yeah. to something that that might need a little bit of chiseling yeah it's <laughs> uh, true and I think that's so important that's why I think I, I super love functional medicine and, and taking an integrated approach because everybody's different like yeah. you said and people need a different pathway that's unique to them that's going to help them get to where they want to go and yeah. it's not necessarily going to be the same path that they're going to take that another person's going to take yeah absolutely yeah yeah absolutely. yeah so I, I'd love to know for you before we start talking about female hormones and everything else is what does optimal brain health mean for you personally in the context of your life's journey I think it's all for me it's um I, I, I it's a good question when you asked me that I thought oh my gosh it's so wide isn't it because you know you can sort of think okay I probably personally you know I've maybe had some anxiety I've had you know sort of anxiety in the past so for me it's probably being able to keep grounded I think because I, I know that over the years I've worked a lot on kind of connecting my gut instinct and following that and so actually if I'm in a grounded place and not being anxious then that's then I know I make better decisions and everything flows better and I think um and you know I, I've done a lot of work on myself as well and I've got a very kind I'm quite a perfectionist sort of tendency so I tend to be very over analytical <laughs> perfectionist kind of that um kind of over analyzing <laughs> So, you know, that's my tendency, which, you know, has good points and bad points. But I think for me, 
being in balance is the key because you know I don't want to lose that it's good to to be um detail orientated and I like that yeah. but I have to be careful not to go down rabbit holes so you know I think it's all about balance and that's you know I guess I've spent a long time for myself just finding things that give me that and for me it's nature and gardening and yeah you know that, that's what really helps me but it's different for everybody isn't it but yeah it is yeah. I, I really can relate to that because I had a super I, I have a super anxious brain I have an overactive yeah. yeah. and it's really important for me to calm my brain down and my brain's often whizzing I have a very fast <clears throat> cerebellum so yeah. my brain is whizzing at you know 100 miles an hour Yes. And if I can't downregulate myself from an anxiety perspective, yes. um, people, I can't explain myself to other people because I'm not slowing myself down enough. Yes. And I can get really, really agitated yes. um, and really angry quite quickly um, yes. because of that, that sort of anxiety, anxiety amplification. And I yes. never really until I went on my own personal brain health journey, never really paid attention to my anxiety levels. I, yes. I, you know, nature was my escape, but sometimes yes. it's not always available. Yes. Um, and, and you, or you don't take the time to go yeah. and connect with it. <laughs> and so yes. your anxiety buckets fills and fills and fills until yes. at some point it overflows. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. It's true, isn't it? It's, it? it's definitely, it's having that awareness to know what you need, isn't it? To keep yourself topped up. <laughs> yeah, and I can really relate to the grounding piece. I think we talked about this before we, yeah. we, uh, before we go on the show, is that, you know, for me, it is literally grounding myself, like you would ground an antenna, is yeah. I have to literally lie down on the ground to dissipate yeah. the negative energy or lie on the sofa works. Yeah. I have to literally connect with something yeah. and then just relax. Yeah. And um I recently uh last week I went to um body balance, which is kind of yoga tai yeah. chi thing. Yeah. And the and the instructor at the end, she always does a, a meditation, guided yeah. meditation, and you lie on the ground. And every time my mum was um uh was struggling with the house at the time. And every time I lie down on the ground, I end up having tears coming out of my eyes because because it kind of releases the yeah, anxiety right. or the tension that's in me. And I yeah. just find it wonderful. just find it brilliant yeah. That, yeah. that you can do that. Yeah. Yeah, I get the same with sort of my, the mindfulness as well, which is a meditation, which is a really fantastic tool, isn't it? And yeah. I know you've, you've had someone else talk about that, but, I mean, that's also one of my favourite things too, so. Yeah, and I don't think people really, un, really, unless you're uh, very well practiced with meditation, I think it's hard to acknowledge the power that meditation can actually have on you yeah. personally. But it's finding the right practice, med meditation yeah. practice that works for you, because there's loads of different types. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, and that's key. And how you in integrate your body into the practice of meditation as well is really important because you can either just stay in your mind or yes. you can use your body and, and imagine, you know, use the power of your imagination to imagine things moving out of your, in, or into your body. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's really powerful as well. Yeah. 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 So I, I'd love to dive into female hormones now uh, and the, and the often discussed topic of, ladies going into menopause or yeah. menopause let's start there um yeah. perimenopause 
uh, and what the typical challenges are that women experience when they go into perimenopause and how um, we can take a more integrated approach to addressing yeah. it rather than, you know, going straight for the uh, a pill as, you know, yeah. something to be taken twice a day. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the changes often start early. I think that's the thing that's often difficult for women because often the 40s is quite a stressful time anyway. So often women are juggling quite a few different things. You may have children, you may be very busy at work. So I think often those changes start happening and people are very unsure. They'll often come to me and say, I don't really know if it's work or stress or is it my hormones? You know, they're not quite sure. But that's, but often, but it is on average about eight years before menopause that, that things start to change. So it is early 40s when normally the hormones start to change. Mm-hmm. And the first sign that you often see is um, progesterone levels declining. And it is really quite, um, it's quite heavily influenced by the amount of stress you are under as well. So um, if you're under a lot of stress and you have those kind of chronically elevated cortisol levels, mm-hmm. you'll often see that that has um, a negative effect on progesterone declining too. So you'll have a natural decline in progesterone, but you'll have that's enhanced if you're under stress. So the body, because it uses the same precursor, like cholesterol is the precursor that makes all the sex hormones and yeah. cortisol. And if you're under stress, the body just prioritizes making cortisol and so it's not anything else yeah basically and so and progesterone is the first one to suffer really and progesterone is our really lovely calming hormone it helps um you know it, it's got a lot of really beneficial effects for um the brain and helps to effects on GABA and it's a you know it breaks some of the metabolites that it breaks down into really have a lot of different calming effects in the brain so when that starts to go, that's often when women start to feel more anxious, they have problems sleeping, you get more mood swings, more irritability, you'll often get worsening PMT symptoms. Yeah. So often those very early signs are to do with progesterone levels. And mm. so often progesterone declines, and I'll see, you know, definitely stress is a big factor in that. And then estrogen is very variable. There's different patterns that you'd see. I mean, it's so different for everybody, but you'll often, commonly, you might start to see estrogen surging up and dropping. So that's kind of starts to happen. And you, or even another common pattern is estrogen dominant type pattern, which is where you get actually uh, sort of higher levels of estrogen and the ratio of estrogen to progesterone really starting to widen. So you'll see problems with quite high levels of estrogen and low levels of progesterone that's mm-hmm. quite a common pattern in perimenopause and that's often because estrogen the clearance of estrogen in the body is influenced by uh, lots lot of different factors and if you're living a kind of inflammatory lifestyle you're eating say lots of carbohydrates and sugar and you're you've got some insulin sensitivity issues or you're holding a little bit of extra weight that can all push estrogen up if you've got gut dysbiosis, problems in the gut flora, that can affect how estrogen is metabolized and excreted out of the body. So it recycles estrogen. So you another another way that estrogen might be reabsorbed and also increased. So it's it's often to do if there's if there's other kind of issues going on, like chronic inflammation and, yeah. and poor diet, you'll just see that estrogen levels are high. 
Um, and you might get then, in that case, you might get fibroids, heavy bleeding as well, breast pain. And you do see all these kind of the emotional symptoms worsening as well. Yeah. So that's often an early sign that people will see, okay, that's just, is that just normal? Like my periods are getting heavier and I'm getting fibroids and I'm getting breast lumps and cysts and um, I'm getting more PMT and mood swings and I can't sleep and some early night flushes. Like that, it's common, but it, it doesn't need to be. You know, actually that, that pattern can be uh, balanced out. You know, that there's lots you can do to help to balance that. So that's often what people experience first. And then as you get... Closer to your fifth, 51 is the average age for menopause. Yeah. If you get closer to that, you'll often see then estrogen surging very high and then dropping. <laughs> so that's when, you know, you really start the roller coaster. So some poor women, I mean, you know, people really often feel like they're going a bit mad, like because your hormones are so out of kilter, you know, you can't. And it's, and it's a, like a, a wave, isn't it? So you're never on, like you say, it's a roller coaster. You're never on one. Mm -hmm. Even keel all the time, <laughs> and then often you might see like um, hormonal um, migraines. You know, with each particular people are sensitive to these changes, you can really see things like migraines, really severe mood swings, low mood, anxiety, yeah. and that's happening. And you'll see when estrogen goes high, they might have a bleed, they might be experiencing breast tenderness. And then it will drop right down, and then you you know you're probably more likely to be getting hot flushes or feeling achy or worsening anxiety. So it can become this, you know, it, it's not. But for some women, it's really tricky time. I think sometimes perimenopause is worse than actually when everything's just started to flatline and balance out. But you know, it, depending on how sensitive you are to these fluctuations, really. So. So you'll see that, and then say if the say average age is fifty one for menopause, then obviously at some point estrogen just drops off, and it can just you get can get little odd surges even to like mid fifties. You know you can get these odd surges of estrogen coming up, which people might experience as you know a bit of a bleed, or um, you know you, you you might go eleven months without a bleed, and then suddenly one happens. And then get something. Like um, so, but then um, say you'll get to the point where your estrogen levels have really sort of started to flatline and once again the amount of background stress has a huge impact so if you've had high levels of background stress and you've had those high cortisol levels then you're probably going to see you're going to have less estrogen as a kind of baseline so the, because the cortisol will be prioritizing everything else. <laughs> so i mean the i don't know you know the two hormones that are the sort of balance each other in the stress response of cortisol and DHEA. So, you know, if yeah. you're with a spike in cortisol all the time, the DHEA is, is trying to protect you against that. It's, you know, your adrenal glands are going to be pumping out the DHEA. And eventually, over time, you'll see that that kind of becomes quite low and you might end up with very low levels of DHEA. And that's our precursor for estrogen production. So if... Um, if that happens, in, in that instance on the adrenal glands, it, that you're kind of wearing them out, aren't you? Because they've kind yeah. of had this excessive stress. Exactly. So you've got to a point where your adrenal glands, which is, um, you know, responsible for managing your your stress levels that are, you know, exactly. raised from the uh, hypothalamus. Correct me if I'm wrong, but it's your hypothalamus, pituitary, adrenal right. axis or your HP, yeah. 
HPA access and your adrenals yeah. are an essential part of that. Exactly. Um, it's when you wear your adrenals out, you kind of make your situation worse because you because you your body has just got, got tired of producing exactly. the yeah. exactly it's basically got flat battery you know you just sort of and it stops responding after a while that's what happened you know after lots of stimulation it just kind of goes you know I'm not I'm not doing it anymore done. you know I'm done. yeah exactly so you know you'll just see like the the, the DHEA might start to go um you'll often see that on blood tests that it can yeah. be low and you might see estrogen drop very low again so and so you know commonly in, in women who've had a lot of stress I might see DHEA low estrogen low progesterone low and testosterone low you know you might see all of them really low and estrogen I mean obviously we know estrogen is so important for brain function I mean without yeah. estrogen so much you know it's absolutely vital isn't it so um, you know, that's often when women start to get more cognitive problems. So, you know, brain fog, problems with memory, um, you know, forgetting things all the time. Um, it can also, depression can be associated with low estrogen. So, um, in cognitive function, focus, concentration, all of these things. So, that's often when women really start to struggle with brain function is when estrogen's very low. And they might obviously be having those other symptoms like hot flushes or feel achy fatigue sometimes you know vaginal dryness you can see all of these changes skin changes with collagen and um, so it depends really on how much that estrogen drops what's your baseline so if your adrenals yeah. are healthy your adrenals do take over a little bit so if you've got healthy adrenals um, they will take over a bit and you know that's kind of that that's what you want to see that they can do that um but you know for some women that, that the levels can baseline very low and so um you know so really supporting I'd say the key thing is the stress you know it makes such a big difference so I totally the more, agree the, the more rough time you're gonna have <laughs> yeah it's really interesting isn't it because I you know I'm in the perimenopause uh, phase and I notice that I when I am stressed my symptoms are are more pronounced yes. than when I'm, you know, in a calm state of mind, and it's this underlying stress level, isn't it, that that, that sets the sets the level of pain for me anyway that yes. I may have going into my period. Yes. Um, or uh, it, it seems I mean, I don't have any hardly any pain, fortunately, yes. uh, for my, for me personally, because I think I've done as much as I can. In yes. the context of my gut health and my nutrition, yes. <laughs> um, and, and everything else associated with that, and the exercise and so on, but yes. I certainly notice that when I'm stressed, things are much harder in the context yes. of of that of that phase of the cycle. Yeah, whenever it happens. <laughs> yeah, and even actually, surprisingly, things like hot flushes. You know, if you actually look at so hot flushes, you know, you need lower estrogen, but you also have the, no, the way that the hot flush uh, kind of occurs is two things. It's having a low level of estrogen, then plus the adrenaline surge, you know, because it's actually stress and anxiety will trigger flushes. So, it, you know, actually reducing anxiety and stress will help with hot flushes as well. You know, there's some good evidence to support yeah. that. Things like CBT can be helpful for, for that. So, 
you know, it, it, it does have a massive impact. But like you say, it's all the other things as well. You know, nutrition, your gut health, all of that has a massive impact too. So Yeah, I'd love to dive into that aspect of it now because I don't think people, the, the, the average female population, <laughs> uh, yeah. realise how much control we have yes. over the symptoms we experience. Yeah either during our period phase of life, yes. uh, including when we're young and PCOS, and yeah. you know, I'd love to talk about that for a little bit if we can, um, and also as we go into perimenopause and menopause. Yeah. Um, would you mind kind of, if we start with the gut, because if you start what is what what we need to do more of that's within our control to help balance our gut microbiome? So there's probably two things, isn't there? Uh, there's the food that you're eating, and then there's your, um, you know, again, the sort of stress levels. So I think, you know, often people focus a lot on the food that they're eating, and then and not so much on their emotional state. So I'll often see people working so hard on the clean diet and eating really well, but also eating when they're very stressed and eating so quickly and you know um gobbling it all up really you know so you do need to do the two together so it's obviously with the gut i mean it's got so many uh neurons in hasn't it obviously this direct impact with the brain so in yeah. terms of brain health it's uh you know we call it the second brain don't we so it's we do, yeah. important for that but in terms of hormones it's you know it's got lots of different so um uh, key kind of um, actions really so as well as all those beneficial bacteria they help helping with absorbing nutrients and um, uh, vitamins and minerals from your food they're obviously important for the inflammation response and your immune response and inflammation in the body can trigger cortisol again having an effect on all the hormones through that pathway and also oestrogen, so it has a massive impact. So we, there's something called the oestrobio, the oestrobolome, which is like the, the, the bacteria in the gut that affect the oestrogen metabolism. Okay. So, and that's quite a, a really key, um, what's the word? It's kind of the focus of when you're looking at sort of um, hormone health and you're looking at the gut, you'll often be looking at, okay, for example, do you have bacteria which raise beta-glucuronidase, which is one of, one of the pathways... Um, which influences estrogen metabolism. So you'll be looking at the type of gut bacteria in there. So some of the beneficial bacteria can help to protect, um, and some of the more pathogenic bacteria might stop you from excreting estrogen. They might cause you to actually reabsorb more estrogen. So they can have a huge impact on your estrogen levels. Um, so that's really that's a massive part of thing that we look at at the clinic. You know, if we see people with endometriosis for example you'll mm -hmm. often do a really deep dive into that you can often see that there are problems with the gut flora um yeah. so you're looking for markers that relate to inflammation often or there's off uh, you might be looking for signs of sort of leaky gut which is obviously yeah. where the, the uh, lining of the gut becomes more permeable and in that instance you start to reabsorb um, proteins and sort of toxic compounds that can trigger off inflammation in the body or autoimmune conditions as well. So, I mean, I also work a lot with women with thyroid problems, and you might see yeah. that kind of going on behind the scenes in some autoimmune um, conditions. And even there's theories that endometriosis is 
linked to that as well. So, um, so like the lining of the gut and the gut barrier, you know, we can look for markers of that on stool tests, and we can influence that a lot with the food that you're eating and and the you know what what you're um, doing with your diet and supplements, for example. So, so you're looking at the bacteria in the gut. You're looking at the lining of the gut. Is there sort of food sensitivities? Another thing that often happens in the gut, if you've got gut dysbiosis problems, is you might start to produce bacteria which can um, increase histamine in the body. And we know that estrogen also um, stimulates histamine receptors. So another thing that sometimes happens in the perimenopause when estrogen being high, if if there's a gut problem too, you'll see often high histamine. So people start to develop allergies. Sometimes you'll see more allergy symptoms like food sensitivities, skin rashes, mm. um, urticaria, rhinitis, all those kinds of allergy symptoms can get worse with the hormone changes. And there might be cyclical, so they might be like within the menstrual cycle, you see, well, actually allergies are worse at a particular point when the estrogen's high, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, you might see just overall um, allergies increasing. So... So that's kind of often that's related to gut health as well. So wow, know, that is fascinating. I didn't know that. Yeah. Uh, you know, I I didn't realise that histamine there was an increase in histamine production as a result of estrogen and the fact that your gut microbiota um, yeah. really influences that pathway. Yeah. So there are some bacteria in the gut which can uh, increase histamine. And um, it depends on genetics. Some people have genetic susceptibility to it. And, and, you know, you can look at that. You can look at the little SNPs, the mutations that mean people are more sensitive to histamine. So, um, so yeah, but, but you know, digestive problems, particularly, and, and sometimes SIBO, things like that can be connected to, to histamine. And, um, and And it's often like a... A bit of a uh, what would you call it? Just a perfect storm. Sometimes you'll see women with maybe the genetic susceptibility. They've got digestive issues which are causing histamine problems, and then you stick in a load of estrogen as well, yeah. and it's like boom, everything. You know, they they just get a lot worse. So, and I think also you know to relate to that because obviously before before I went on my brain health journey, I was constantly having. Uh, uh, sinus infections constantly I still have a runny nose yes I've, I've obviously got a sort of underlying allergy issue yeah. but found out that um I was a, not tolerant to gluten or dairy yeah. Uh, yeah. and particularly eliminating dairy made a huge difference to my health state um, yes. and actually you know I literally was on antibiotics pretty much every year of my life I would say at wow. least once a year because of sinus issues yeah. um, and from from childhood um, to I have not touched antibiotics since purely from eliminating dairy and 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 gluten from my diet and I don't eliminate it absolutely 100% um, I do give myself permission to fail sometimes yeah. um, but I have to accept the consequences but um, I think it's fascinating isn't it that if we've got these underlying allergies that are associated with the foods that we consume which you know if I'd not been on the journey I've been on I would not have known about it and I would have been living with this chronic inflammation 
I would be in a much worse state, you know, since removing all of that. I've never really had um, mega period pain um, since, since, since coming off. I never really had all of the aches and pains and stuff. So I've been really fortunate, but you know, it's when you've got that chronic inflammation inside you, because you've got all of these allergies that your body's trying to find, including mold and dust mites and everything else. Your your baseline is so much worse. Yeah. Um, that as soon as you like you say you layer on the estrogen a yeah. fluctuation on top, it's like a volcano, isn't it? It's gonna so, And the thing is it's a vicious cycle. The more inflammation, the more increase in estrogen, they kind of you know, actually it's a vicious cycle. So increasing inflammation in your body pushes estrogen up, then that pushes up inflammation. So you know, breaking that inflammatory cycle is so important because, and it often starts in the gut, you know, so that's often why we start with the gut healing because if you've got inflammation coming from the gut, you do get into this vicious cycle with it and that's often what we're trying to do is try and break that cycle of, you know, find out where's the inflammation coming from very often, the gut, okay, let's find out why and then let's heal that because then actually you start to go on a positive cycle so yeah you know it's it's just got so many important functions yeah and I think for me just from my personal journey the three big protagonists sugar yeah um dairy and and gluten yeah and sugar is just a huge one and I think people often don't um realize how such a simple change like exactly for example with PMT I see it all the time like PMT the biggest change you can make is just cutting out sugar and sometimes that's enough just yeah. stop eating sugar get your blood sugars nice and balanced have a nice steady um balance of blood sugars through the day and it makes a huge difference but like sometimes that's it completely stop PMT I mean it can be really dramatic so that is yeah. always the first thing, is, you know, and, and obviously people have to work out why am I eating so much sugar? You know, there's often a lot of kind of backstory as to why you're doing that. Maybe you're really tired, you're using it to keep you awake. Maybe it's a comfort, maybe it's a yeah. habit. You know, why, you, you know, so it's often finding, okay, well, you know, wh- wh- why is it the thing that you're going for? You know, it's a, and, and so, but I think if people, first of all, get awareness, okay, well, actually it's my comfort or actually it's because I'm really tired or you know that's the first thing often isn't it just working out like why is sugar my thing that I'm that I'm having also sometimes it's just literally because it's around you everywhere you know yeah. you do go out everywhere it's always sugary carbohydrates everywhere you go isn't it and so. it's really difficult to get away from it isn't it I mean I know for me personally uh I you know I grew up with sugar my whole life we used to have sugar yeah. it always used to have puddings for for tea uh, yeah. My dad was a real pudding, uh, you know, lover. Yeah. And um, I, when I went to the aiming clinics to get my brain assessed, I was, you know, confirmed as being addicted to sugar, which I think many people are. Yeah. Um, but I literally, if you've got it in the house, I will. Well, I just want to. Eat it. Oh, yeah. So I, I have to go as you know, ninety percent uh, cocoa in chocolate. Yeah, um, and get it and, and literally not have it in the house because if it's yeah. in the house I will go find it and I will I will eat yeah. it yeah. Um, particularly if it's biscuit orientated yeah. so, so what I do and it tend to do is um what can I have that is tasty that f- 
feels like a sugar hit, but I know it's going to be a slow release of energy and not going to give me a a, a, a spiking in my glucose. So I love yes. making like chocolate balls and stuff yes. because it it's better than yeah. <laughs> eating a, a big lump of sugar. Yes. You know, the, the protein <laughs> balls I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah, exactly. It's often good, isn't it, to sort of wean onto the natural sugars first, I think. I mean, people are different. You know, when I'm often talking to people, I'm like, you know, what's your kind of character? Like, are you someone who wants to just go cold turkey? Right, that's it. You know, I'm just chucking it all out and I'm going for it. You know, I'm going to go through the withdrawal for the next week and then I'm all done or are you someone who has to just really kind of gradually do it because you know everybody's different aren't they and so so I think sometimes if, if you're a kind of a cold turkey person I think you just get rid of it from the house you'll go through a week of massive craving and then probably your taste buds you know n normally your taste buds change actually. yeah I think it takes six days doesn't it for them to to change it's actually not yeah. that long not long it's that first week that's really tough and then after that, often people will say, you know, oh, gosh, I went to actually eat it. It was horrible. It was so sweet and sickly. And it's, I don't even like it anymore. So, you know, I think even the heart, most hardened sugar addict, you know, you taste the change. So yeah. I think you know, that there's something in that method. Or I would say, OK, if you don't want to do that, then actually just, you know, maybe get rid of all the processed sugar and just sort of wean yourself onto using maybe a bit of honey or a bit or have some dates or you know or actually just try and go on to the natural sugars yeah and then at least you're getting some of the nutrients in there aren't you they're not just empty it's not empty sugar empty carbs so you're getting a little bit of other nutrients in them and then you know it's probably just slowly portion size reducing how much you have yeah. but you know there's a diff there's different ways of doing it really I mean I think sometimes just, I mean, I, I like blueberries as well because I think they're another good alternative. You know, if you've got that craving, just having a good handful of blueberries, they're, you know, they're actually really low in sugar, but they taste quite sweet and they're quite a nice, you know, like raspberries and blueberries, I think. Are a good yeah, one. we love those at home. They're a go-to, God, God's candy, as it were. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, you feel like they are a bit sweet, but they're actually very low sugar, so... You know, they're, they're a great one. And like you say, the dark chocolate, just a small bit of dark chocolate is another good one, isn't it? To, yeah. I think, and I often say, you know, if you really got that craving, then maybe just have a date. You know, just have one date and just, you know, that probably will do it if you're really feeling yeah. like, oh, no, I just have to, have to have some. So, yeah. I, I, and I think it's not just the sugar, is it? Because we forget that it's the simple carbs as well. It's the, it's the white flour, the white rice, the white potatoes, all yeah. of, the equivalent of eating a bowl of sugar yes <laughs> so it's I moving know. away from those very simple carbohydrates yes. into the more complex ones like brown brown rice brown potato uh, brown uh pasta yes and uh and sweet potatoes and things like that vegetables with a lower gi glycemic index and often for women because obviously the other thing that often happens around menopause is people start putting on weight so the average woman puts stone on over menopause. wow I know. I know it's really tough. I mean, almost everyone I see goes, oh, my God, I'm just doing the same. And I'm suddenly I've got this belly hanging over. And, you know, where did that come from? And, you know, but so the carbohydrate portion size, you just don't, you need, you need about a third of what you were having before. So I think also in menopause, it's just cutting that carb portion down anyway. You've really got to, like, make sure you're getting enough of the 
um, quality protein and your healthy fats, particularly if your brain function, you need all that omega-3. Yeah. So I think often there's, you know, people have often been a bit scared of fats. So it's often, okay, talking to people about, no, you know, don't be scared of fats. You need those fats. You need it to absorb your nutrients, your, your yeah. fat-absorbable nutrients. So yeah. you need it. It's essential. Yeah, exactly. So you need, you know, a bit of olive oil, avocados, oily fish, nuts and seeds. Mm-hmm. So it's really important to have those in as well. And they can help you to feel fuller. And then you're maybe not going to get so much of the carb cravings as well. So I think if you're eating, you know, if you're including those healthy fats and you're having good protein, and good diversity of all the lovely rainbow vegetables, then hopefully you're not going to feel hungry. And actually, you know, your blood sugars will be nice and steady and you won't be having such cravings because of because of hunger. So, I mean, I think the emotional side is another thing and that's to look at, okay, normally we work with people to just substitute a different treat. You know, you kind of just, it's really like, okay, what do I yeah. do if I've had a bit of a rubbish day? And, you know, I'm feeling like I just need something as my little treat. Okay. And, and it's just changing that habit, isn't it? Okay. What can I do instead? You know, maybe yeah. I'll have a bath instead. Maybe I'll go for a walk. Maybe I'll have a cup of tea. You know, like just find something else that becomes your treat and not yeah. using the carbs. Instead. Yeah. And it's quite hard, isn't it? Going back to the behavioral piece is, you know, we have a cupboard in the kitchen that's got the treats in um, and, and it's, I mean, unfortunately, most of them, not all of them, but most of them are healthy treats. But it's 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 changing how, you know, what you typically reach for, like you say, yeah. going for a walk. When you when you get that feeling, yeah. it is reframing your brain and going, OK, there's the trigger. What am yeah. I going to replace it with that's yeah. going to be better for me? Or maybe I grab a, a new, nutritional bar and go for a walk at the same time because that will actually lower the 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 glucose spike that I will get if I if I tag on exercise at the same time as eating something yeah yeah so I think you know I think it's also doing you know these things take time don't they and you know obviously I mean I I love there's a term I can't remember it came I don't know if it was from it's from Buddhist philosophy or or I, I can't exactly remember where I first heard it but compassionate curiosity which I really love that so that that kind of like looking at yourself with sort of compassion and thinking oh I wonder why I just did that yeah (laughs) in a very non-judgmental way and I think with sugar it's a really good thing to do you know just like oh I wonder why I just grabbed that yeah I I absolutely 100% agree I call it um get curious not furious yeah exactly yeah and and it's it's a journey of self-discovery isn't it go oh that you know what was I angry or why 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 did I have a big mood what's what's the root cause of that and start kind of like you say, peeling back the un- the layers of the onion, yeah, to try and exactly. get to the root cause of it. I mean, I I did it myself. It was f- the funniest thing. It was I think I was writing. I can't remember what I was writing. I was I was doing some work, writing some um, blogs, and and I, I'd had a really stressful week, and and I decided I really want a chocolate brownie. Like that's what I really want. and I started eating this brand, and I just thought, Sally, what are you doing? Why are you eating this brand? And I just watched myself. I'm actually going to eat this brownie because I'm stressed and, and it was the funniest thing because I just had this total conversation with myself to think why don't you just go and do some meditation but you could just go for a walk or you could just eat the brownie <laughs> you know you're just having this conversation I thought this is actually really funny like, I talk about it to people all day and there I am sitting at my desk doing it too 
But, but it's so that awareness piece though, isn't it? It's the awareness that you're doing something that isn't going to help you. And and then once you're aware that you're doing, you know, you know, because you've got the knowledge and the awareness, you yeah. can choose to intervene or not. Yeah. But, the, you know, for, for my clients, when we go through their behavioural stuff is, is often it's about, particularly on the food and how yeah. your food affects your mood, yeah. is the first thing is to get you the awareness of what yeah, yeah. you're eating influences yeah. your mood massively and they've yeah. done loads of scientific studies on this you know the number yeah. of proportion of, of fruit and vegetables you eat up to eight influences yeah. your level of happiness based yeah. on the based on the neurotransmitters that are generated in your gut so yeah, exactly. it's really exactly. important that we get that awareness first and foremost isn't it yeah definitely it's so great. I'd love to dive into PCOS now yeah. uh, because I know it's like a can be quite a big issue well it is a big issue for those that have it but it's on the rise as well isn't it PCOS in there and I think that's another it's a very complex hormone disorder so it's a really it's a whole body issue you know people think okay polycystic ovaries but it's really complex and has a lot of effects on the whole the rest of the body and it's often called the diabetes of the ovaries so it's really connected to insulin sensitivity and so you'll see that as the root of the, the the problem of part you know there's often genetic predisposition to it but there's the the other big part of it is this insulin sensitivity that you often see and then the other sort of root cause that you'll often see is to do with the adrenal gland so you'll often see like issues with the adrenal gland and some women it's a bit of all of those some mm. women don't have so much issues with the insulin resistance but they've got more of the adrenal so you'll kind of see you know it's a, there's these complex drivers which which lead to the hormone changes and so you'll often see you know so you see abnormalities in the LH FSH ratio and then you often see obviously the high testosterone and the androgens which drive the problems with your skin you know so often women will get acne skin breakouts they'll often get problems with hair growth um Obviously, you've got the issues around fertility as well, so it can affect fertility. Women can go long periods of time without periods, so then you're kind of thinking, okay, there's not having there's no often affecting ovulation, and then you'll also often see a pattern of estrogen dominance and not enough progesterone as well. So you'll see there's quite a few different patterns which are driving it and then some like I say sometimes these adrenal dysfunction patterns as well so maybe high cortisol low DHEA so you'll often see all these patterns and it can be very distressing I mean you know because particularly um if if women want to get pregnant and there's the infertility associated with it and also just the fact that periods become so irregular and it's hard to yeah. sort of manage your life when you don't know what's going on so um I mean, again, going back to that, you know, a key thing is sugar and there's lots you can do with diet. Again, with polycystic ovaries is often looking at insulin resistance, um, low GI diets, keeping blood sugar steady. And there's some supplements that can be helpful. Like there's some good studies on myo and, and, myoinositol, which has can be helpful, which can help to regulate blood sugars and reduce testosterone and things like reservatrol, which oh, is yeah. polyphenols, which can help reduce testosterone as well. So I did not know that actually about reservatrol, yeah. reservatrol, <laughs> I don't know how to say it. Because yeah. um, I know it helps with um, lung function because it helps um, restore the ACE2, I think, from a 
um you know if you've got COVID it's very helpful yeah yeah it has lots of good benefits so you mean that can be helpful um so you know there's things that you can do to modify those pathways so we often run like a Dutch test which is a urine kind of hormone test where it's a yeah. fabulous test that looks into a lot of detail at the pathways so you might see women have problems with their testosterone pathways and there's things you can do to modify those pathways and so we're often working on the pathways or the genetics which again like I said with these kind of nutrigenomics where you're looking at the influence of the genes on these hormone pathways and you can use nutrition and supplements to modify those so there's a lot you can do to help to modify and change these pathways um and um yeah so and then with herbs there's you know you can sometimes use herbs like Vitex can be helpful. There's some research on peony and licorice being helpful. Or sometimes mm -hmm. I use the natural bioidentical progesterone as well, which can be mm -hmm. helpful. There's lots of different options. I mean, it depends really. You know, some women are struggling with the weight side of things, which can happen in polycystic ovaries. Some people, it's more, there's more an adrenal picture. Then, you know, you might get different symptoms, maybe more fatigue, brain fog type issues. But you know, it can be there can be often a lot going on for these women. Yeah. There's a lot of different symptoms. Um, you do need to kind of look at it, you know, in, holistically. Yeah, exactly. Um, and sort of look at the different drivers for that woman, like what's going on in the background for her. But it's really important, you know, because there, there's some research that can link um, polycystic ovaries increased risk of cardiovascular disease, and I think. Sometimes that's not really known about as well, you know, that people, I mean, I had somebody um, like a couple of weeks ago who came with hair loss. So she was experiencing sort of male pattern hair mm -hmm. loss, had a history of polycystic ovaries and, um, you know, and there was a big family history of heart disease and she didn't even know like, well, okay, maybe I'm going to have to be a bit more careful because, you know, actually there's some research linking the, the, that as well. So, you know, I think it's not very well understood. I think people mm. are often just sent away, oh, you've got polycystic ovaries. That's there's no no recommended next steps. I think no. that's so so sad, isn't it? Because I've I've clients who've got PCOS, and I, you know, they, the traditional approach can be quite dismissive mm. in yeah. terms of interventions you can make yourself personally, starting with your diet, yeah, um, to and, and nutritional supplements to increase yeah. your baseline yeah so that you you know you, and then once you've increased your baseline then you you can look at all of the other factors like you say through a functional yeah. medicine practitioner like yourself yeah to to make sure that you're optimized and that you're addressing all the different pathways that could be influencing your PCOS yeah. exactly and I'd say sort of sugar and reducing sugar and stress are probably the two first things to do you know that that was that would be the first things to look at really. and isn't it ironic that it's the sugar that we reach for typically when we're stressed oh, no. <laughs> so we're hitting ourselves you know with a double whammy of pain yeah. by 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 not addressing either of them yeah it's true isn't it it is true <laughs> yeah and that, um before i know we're get, getting on to time but um, I'd love to learn a bit more, if you will, about the adaptogenic herbs. Yes. I yes. know nothing about this, so I'm super curious um, yes. about what they are and how they can help people. 
So they're fantastic. I mean, I love the adaptogenic herbs. There's nothing really like them, you know, so I think that they're very special category. Um, and they have kind of four different characteristics, really. So they're said to be normalizing, they're nourishing, they're non-toxic, and they can be used to, and they can be used sort of longer term. So they have this normalizing effect on the body. Um, and that can be very helpful. So they're often modulators. So they'll, okay. they can be really useful at sort of, uh, particularly with hormones, at just modulating, but also often with inflammation and the immune system. So they'll often, like, for example, um, some of the adaptogenic herbs that work on the immune system are, are really useful because they can um, modulate the immune system so that it's not um, over over um, stimulated for example in autoimmune disease but they can help to reduce infections so because that's quite tricky sometimes if you want if you kind of someone's got lots of infections you know you want to support the immune system but you don't want to over stimulate it and the immune yeah. system if it gets dysregulated can become either too reactive so it's just reacting to everything or it, it's not really functioning and you're just getting lots of infections so, so it's just yeah, so the beauty of the adaptions is they're often quite balancing in the body. So they'll often have an effect on the immune system. So that's something, an area that they're often really useful for. And they'll often have an effect on this HPA axis, our stress axis. And a lot of them work on the adrenal glands in a similar way. So they'll help to kind of normalize the, the adrenal glands. So they often help buffering the effects of um, stress. So they'll often normalize cortisol levels. So that's like ashwagandha, which is a really nice, oh, yeah. really <clears throat> good herb for doing that. So that can help to normalize cortisol. It's a really lovely herb for helping to improve um, resistance to stress and has a nice kind of modulating effect on the immune system. So if someone's burnt out and getting lots of infections or their immune system is affected, it's a lovely herb because it not only helps to modulate and balance the HPA stress axis, but it will also help to modulate the immune system and support that too that's why they're often so useful so um, and then you've got lots of different types so you've got some um adaptions which are more stimulating so you've got like the ginseng which is really yeah. good more in depression if someone's really tired it's a bit more stimulating and uplifting can what about be saffron because that's quite popular is that an adaptogen i don't know that actually i don't really use that much oh okay um, that's okay yeah um and with the with the ginsengs um uh they so so they can often be too stimulating if someone's got a lot of anxiety for example because they you know they're better in depression really or sort of chronic fatigue mm -hmm. you've got um, ashwagandha which is a more relaxing um adaption so that's very good where there's anxiety that's really that tired but wired sort of state yeah. where someone's exhausted but very wired that's the perfect one for that then you've got things like rhodiola which is a, another really rhodiola is a lovely modulating one i use that a lot but it, it's got some um beneficial effects for brain function as well can help with brain fog so it's a really nice one for sort of again for sort of burnout or for if people are in the kind of um stage two stage three stress response where yeah they're getting really tired so rhodiola is really nice. Then you've got some of the lesser note, like Tulsi, which is a really nice Ayurvedic herb that I use. That's um, that's another one that's really nice, again, for reducing anxiety. 
I mean, you've got the medicinal mushrooms, they've often got some adaptogens as well. So they're often particularly focused on in sort of immune function and immune immune response. So there's there's loads of different ones. I'd say it's best if you kind of tailor them because they are they do all have slightly different some are a bit more focused on the stress response, some are a bit more focused on the immune system, some do both. Um, and like I say, some are more stimulating, some are more relaxing. So there's, there's but they're really, really helpful. And, and I use them all the time. I mean, they're, they're absolutely brilliant. When, when there's sort of stress in the background, they're so supportive of the adrenal glands. You know, you would always want to put those into a treatment plan because they're just going to help buffer the effects of the stress. And especially if somebody, you know, because sometimes life's not perfect. You can't always get rid of stress, can you? You know, you can help. No. You can support yourself. But sometimes you just know, well, actually, I just, you know, it's there. And I, at the moment, I, I can't change it immediately. And I think the adaptions then, you know, there can be a bit of a lifeline to just help you buffer against the effects of it. If you know, well, actually, in a perfect world, I'd change things and do, you know, but right at this moment, I can't do that. Then, you know, I think that's when they're often, they're really helpful as well, because, you know, not to use them as a crutch to continue with really unhealthy lifestyles. But, you know, if you, if you really thinking, well, you know, sometimes circumstances take a while to change, don't they? So. You know that that's going to be really helpful then. I, I you know I I love that because I've 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 taken some of those rhodiola I think and ashwagandha yeah. to help manage my stress levels. Um and and I I can't remember which one, but I took it through a a product called Everyday Stress Relief. Okay, um, yeah. And it was really to help turn off the um, constant whizzing that was going yeah. around in my head on the thoughts that I was having with uh, you know the overactive basal ganglia and I took it for probably a couple of months and then I don't take it anymore because I don't need to yes I've managed to sort myself out as it were and obviously everybody's different um but I I find it you know I don't I'm not a specialist by any stretch of the imagination in in nutritional medicine and herbs and stuff as well I find it so fascinating but there's so much we can do beyond just the traditional uh go to the pharmacy (laughs) sorry go to the uh the pharmacy with an f uh which is your grocery uh, uh, and eat vegetables there's so much more beyond that um that can really help us I mean, the other lovely herbs that I use a lot, the ones called the nervines, and I don't know if you've heard of those. So that's another category, which are the ones that work more on the nervous system. And some of them are very nourishing to the nervous system. And some have, again, sort of either relaxing or stimulating effects. So things like lemon balm, I don't know, you know, that's a nice one. Um, Valerian. Uh, My favourite often I use is like passion flower. So a lot of these have on the GABA. Um, GABA receptors in the brain yeah. often or they're increasing GABA so a lot of them affect they're very relaxing and calming so I'll use you know I use them a lot as well so for helping people to sleep or with anxiety some of these nervine herbs are really lovely because they're very gentle you can have them in teas or you can have them in tinctures or supplements but they're they're just really nice and gentle and very calming you know for helping people manage particularly like perimenopause, I use a lot of the nervine herbs. They're really nice for anxiety and the mood swings and the PMT and things. So wow. they can be really helpful. 
That is absolutely fascinating. I know we could talk for hours. I like like a source of learning. It's amazing. Um, Before we go, you know, given the fact that this is really focused on female hormones and menopause, what one piece of advice would you give to, or a couple of pieces of advice, would you give to anyone who's really struggling uh, going through menopause and not really sure which way to turn in the context of the symptoms they're experiencing? Um, gosh, that's so many. I mean, I, I think in terms of things you can do yourself, I would say the things we've talked about today. So, you know, doing those simple lifestyle things. So, yeah, eating with the sugar, alcohol, that's a big one. Massive so, you know, thing, yeah, great. Sugar and the alcohol. I'm really taking a bit of time for yourself because lots of women, you know, that's kind of good to have just that focus of doing something that helps you to reduce your stress or feeling control of your life and just having that time, whatever that is. I mean, I, I, I really Get don't. yourself in for a massage. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if that's your thing, I think people yeah. do, you know, sometimes it's that, isn't it? Sometimes it's going for doing the exercise sometimes Lots it's and eating in the garden. garden yeah it doesn't really matter is it playing a musical instrument just something that's nourishing to you I think that's the key thing isn't it um so I, I would say they're probably the main things you can do yourself I mean food is massive you know but yeah. you can do so much with your nutrition and I think maybe people don't always realize how much you can do so I mean we obviously have a team of nutritional therapists and I do think actually don't underestimate how much you can do by seeing somebody and actually really addressing your, your nutrition because um you know you think okay just eat a few more vegetables but there's loads more you can put in all lots of functional foods and it can be really helpful to just work with somebody on a more one-to-one basis on food so I think yeah. you know that's kind of things that you can do um I'd say um I say you know there's so much information out there now I think it can be a bit overwhelming can't it actually looking yeah. at all the different pathways but it's just finding the pathway that suits you you know there's many different options there's lots of tools like I say my toolbox I've got the nutrition I've got the herbal medicine you know I sometimes use the homeopathy acupuncture you've got your mind body you know yoga loads of evidence that yoga can be helpful so and um, for not just the um, mood and stress reducing effects of yoga but also on hot flushes and obviously sort of brain um, sorry you know flexibility and yeah. um, muscle strength and you know so I mean I think yoga is another area we haven't touched on but that can have a huge benefit and then you know and maybe then look at maybe getting your hormones tested and seeing whether some bioidentical hormones are useful as well so I would say if you're looking at the sort of HRT rope really stick with the bioidentical ones like the the body identical or bioidentical you know Mm -hmm. all the research shows that particularly that bioidentical progesterone has lots of benefits and is the safest one to use so I would steer clear from any of the synthetic progestins progestins, Mm -hmm. you know those have been linked with the increased risk of breast cancer and actually for brain health the increased risk of dementia as well so I would say, you know, they're slowly being phased out anyway, but I would say, you know, just making sure that you don't end up one of those. Um, but, you know, that might be really good for you to look at that as well. And then, you know, you, you can... I, 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 it's hard because there's so many... No, no, but I think that's key, isn't it? What you said is, you know, don't underestimate the power of changing your diet to something that's more healthy, cutting out sugar. Yeah. 
elim- eliminating or massively reducing alcohol. Yeah. <laughs> so you're not you're not killing the good and uh, good bugs in your gut, creating yes. dysbiosis. Um, exactly. And dressing your stress levels is super important as well. Like you say, yeah. creating that that time for yourself. Yes. And then when you've managed to do that, if that's your thing, if you yes. want to do that, uh, and it's not helping, then yes. obviously reach out to someone like yourself. Yeah. Or a doctor that you trust who can yes. help explore your situation further and do some more detailed tests to understand what is the what is lying at the root cause of the symptoms you're experiencing. Yeah. That's what I would say. Yeah. 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 Sally, it has been, honestly, I've had so much fun talking about this. It's been an absolutely fascinating discussion, and I hope we can have many more of these um, as I go on my journey to learn more about nutrition. Um, How can people uh, find out more about what you do and all the products that you um, sell and and sell? And what's the best way for people to get hold of you? So we've got our website, which I think is at the bottom, isn't it? Is yes, that, yeah. Up at the in bottom. the show notes as well. Yeah. So we have our website, which um, has got lots of information on and some resources. So there's some blogs I've written, which has got more information on women's health and herbs and nutrition. And we do have 15-minute um, discovery calls, which are free with our team. So if people want more information, you can book in for a discovery call because that's the best way you can kind of talk with the team and then they'll share um, uh, all the information about the different clinics and the and then if you're looking for the products so we have uh, the herbs that I use in my practice I have developed a range of formulations of um, herbal teas and uh, blends of the herbs so we have like adaptogenic blend and some of the nervine herbs I've talked about and they are organic and biodynamic herbs and you know they're really um beautiful quality herbs that we've used so they're on the um, website as well so you can just use those they're really more for over the counter I wanted to develop something that people could just use themselves really so they're things that you can just order and use yourself Mm. that is absolutely super and if you want to go to a website it's uh, ncifm-uk.com and that'll all be posted in the show notes along with all of the other websites Uh, and social media links so Sally thank you so much for coming on the show it's been such a great discussion good lovely to meet you too (laughs) and everybody remember this show is all about brain health unchaining your pain you're not stuck with the brain you have you have the power to make it better and our Dr Sally Moorcroft has kindly been here to show us how I really hope you enjoyed that conversation. Thank you so much for listening. Please be sure to like and share this episode and leave a review on my website or on Apple Podcasts. If you're looking for opportunities to optimise your brain health or unchain your pain from a past trauma, make sure you visit my website www.ruthmaryallen.com and use the code PODCAST10 at checkout to get 10% off all programs. And always remember, you are not stuck with the brain you have. You have the power to make it better. You have the power to unchain your pain and optimise your brain power and performance so that you can win back energy and time doing what you love.